Hello, everybody. I am John Allen, the editor of Crux, your one-stop shopping destination for the very best in smart, wired, and independent Catholic journalism. You can find us online at cruxnow.com. I am also the host of this show, Last Week in the Church. This is the show where we raid the journalistic fridge. We take out some stories that are a few days old, pop them in the microwave, heat them up, sprinkle over some secret Crux brand sauce and serve them up, piping hot and delicious. Here's what we've got for you this week. First of all, Pope Francis just wrapped up a grueling five-day trip to Canada, what he described as a pilgrimage of penance. He apologized repeatedly for the abuse of native persons at church-run indigenous schools. We're going to ask three questions about this trip. First, was it enough? Did the Pope's apologies actually trigger a new period of healing and reconciliation? We'll explain why in many ways that's a nonsense question. Secondly, what's next? Now that the Pope is back from Canada, what's on his to-do list? And then third, how's he going to do it? The Pope has acknowledged new limits on his physical capacity. What does that mean in terms of his ability to do everything that is facing him? And then we're going to have two other notes. First, nastiness in Nigeria. Kidnapping and, in some very sad cases, killing Catholic priests has in many ways become the country's biggest growth industry. We'll explain what that means. And then finally, an aquatic mass. A mass under the water at a popular Italian beach has become a new subject of controversy. We'll explain what's going on there. All that and more is waiting for you this week on Last Week in the Church. So please, for the love of God, stick around. Okay, everybody, happy Tuesday to you. Happy Tuesday, August 2nd in the year of our Lord, 2022. Hope you are having a great summer and that you're not boiling up because of the record heat in so many parts of the world. Here in Rome, the old saying is that the only things that move in the city of Rome during the month of August are cani e americani, dogs and Americans. The idea is that everybody else empties out because it's vacation time in Italy. However, this August is a little bit different. Not only do we have a consistory for the creation of new cardinals at the end of August, and then two days of meetings with all the cardinals of the world, but we also have snap national elections in Italy set for September 15th, which means that this is an electoral campaign, as the Italians say, sotto le ombrelloni, that is, under the beach umbrellas. And so it's a very busy and occupied August. And we're going to try to break down all of the news that matters during this month. So we begin this week with Pope Francis, who returned on Saturday from a five-day odyssey in the nation of Canada. The Pope, in advance of that trip, described it as a pilgrimage of penance. This due to recent revelations of abuses, sexual, psychological, emotional, even cultural abuses that occurred at church-run residential schools in Canada during the 19th and 20th centuries. 
the Pope, this has created a national scandal in Canada. It, it has put a spotlight on the fate of the country's indigenous peoples. There are about two million indigenous peoples in Canada, but they punch well above their weight in terms of cultural, historical, social, and even political significance. The Pope had said at the outset that he wanted to go there to make amends. He had met with a delegation of indigenous persons representing various indigenous groups in Canada in April here in Rome. He apologized to them directly here in Rome. However, one of the core demands of the indigenous peoples and also of a truth and reconciliation body in Canada was the Pope come to the country and apologize directly on the soil of the indigenous persons given the sacredness of land in indigenous cultures. And so the Pope desperately wanted to do that, and he did. He left last Monday and stayed in Canada through Friday evening, returning to Rome on Saturday. He met with indigenous persons several times during the course of his journey and issued multiple apologies. He apologized for the sins of many Christians against indigenous persons. He apologized for what he described in his airborne press conference on the way back to Rome as a cultural genocide. And the, the whole point of this trip in many ways was to demonstrate to indigenous persons, not only in Canada, but really throughout the world, that the church has turned over a new leaf, that it is no longer a colonial power looking to destroy or eradicate indigenous cultures. It is now a friend of native peoples trying to celebrate, preserve, defend, and transmit those cultures. Now, the question, that many media outlets and other commentators were asking at the end of this trip was, was it enough? I, I did a number of gigs for CNN, the network I serve as the senior Vatican analyst. And by the way, before you get impressed with that, let me point out, I am also their only Vatican analyst, so I'm senior in a, in a universe of one. But in any event, this is the question I got repeatedly. Was this enough? Here's the thing. There are more than 63 different indigenous groups in Canada. There are more than 50 nations, 50 languages. They don't all speak with one voice. Probably the answer to the question of was this enough is as different as indigenous persons are. Like some are going to see this as an historic moment of outreach and apology by the Pope beginning a whole new era of reconciliation and healing. Others are just not gonna be satisfied. In terms of why they're not satisfied, let me lay out a whole range of reasons. One, one of the requests of some indigenous persons in Canada was that the Pope formally repeal what is known as the doctrine of discovery. This is a kind of justification for the colonization of the new world that is associated with a number of papal bulls, most prominently Intercatena issued in 1493, which said that the barbarous nations of the new world must be subjected to the Christian faith. And it was used by the, 
legal systems of a number of countries in the Americas, including Canada, including the United States, including some countries in Latin America, to justify the subjugation of native peoples, putting them in reservations, depriving them of their lands, depriving them of their assets. And some native peoples want to see the Pope formally reject all of that. In fact, when the Pope was in Quebec, the capital of Quebec City, the capital of French-speaking Canada, there was actually a protest in which some native persons unfurled a banner saying repeal the doctrine, demanding that the Pope do this. Pope Francis actually never addressed this during his time in Canada. Other indigenous persons want to see action on a couple of fronts. They want the church to open its archives to be, to be able to get to the truth about what happened to the roughly 150,000 indigenous children who in many cases were forcibly removed from their families and placed in these indigenous schools, and in some cases ended up in unmarked graves. Now, the problem is there is no centralized archive of all of these things. If there are records in the Vatican, they're scattered across a multiple variety of different holdings. The church in Canada doesn't have a centralized archive either. But indigenous persons want a clear commitment from the church to try to organize all of that. Secondly, they want financial reparation. The Catholic bishops in Canada have committed to raising about $30 million to fund different projects for indigenous communities. So far, they've raised about four or five million. Indigenous want to see a serious commitment to generating the rest of those funds. Here's the thing. If what follows from this trip is a serious commitment to taking a look at the doctrine of discovery, to opening archives, to assigning historical scholars to, to pour through these archives to try to find the truth, and to raising the money to fund the, the reparations that have been promised, then maybe a lot, maybe even the vast majority of indigenous people will say this trip was a historical turning point. If those things don't happen, then many of them will say, hey, maybe this was a hollow PR exercise. In other words, right now, asking whether this was enough is a kind of nonsense exercise. We have to see what comes out of it. And if what comes out of it is something that most indigenous people in Canada and around the world are willing to accept, then it will be remembered as one of the great moments in modern church history. If that doesn't happen, you know, we will see. All right, secondly, what comes next? Now that Pope Francis is back from Canada, what is on his to-do list? The thing of it is, it's a pretty crowded list. Here's the thing. Pope Francis's team had said that after he gets back from Canada, they will evaluate his physical condition with an eye towards whether the Pope this month in August is going to be able to go to Kiev in Ukraine in order to demonstrate his concern for the ongoing war in Ukraine, triggered, of course, by the Russian invasion on February 24th. The Pope has said he wants to do it, He's also said, by the way, that he would like to go to Moscow before he goes to Ukraine so that he can have a conversation with Russian President Vladimir Putin and try to convince him to stand down 
that is a fairly ambitious wish list all in and of itself. We now have to evaluate whether that's going to be possible. In addition, the Pope is already scheduled to preside over a beatification ceremony for John Paul I in September, one of his favorite modern popes, the smiling pope of 33 days. Before that happens, he's got a consistory for the creation of new cardinals on August 27th. He is supposed to go to L'Aquila in central Italy to preside over the annual an annual ceremony of forgiveness on August 28th, and then August 29th and 30th, he's got meetings with all the cardinals of the world here in Rome. Later in September, he's already said he wants to go to Kazakhstan because there's going to be a Congress of World Religions there. This would also create the opportunity for him to meet with the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church, and then He's got a trip to South Sudan and then the Congo that he canceled early. Sorry, he did not cancel it. He postponed it earlier in the month of July, but he said he wants to make it up. That's probably going to have to be next year, given climatic conditions and the weather. In other words, oh, and before I forget, the Pope also has the implementation of his recent reform of the Roman Curia which has been decreed, but the thing of it is, it is a classic mistake of bureaucracies to think that merely creating new structures is the same thing as reform. No, it isn't. New structures could e easily replicate the mentalities and the behavior of earlier structures unless somebody is writing herd to make sure that doesn't happen. That's going to be Pope Francis's task going forward. And in addition, he also has the Vatican's trial of the century, this prosecution of 10 different figures, including for the first time a cardinal of the Catholic Church, Italian Cardinal Angelo Becciu, the Pope's former chief of staff, for various forms of financial corruption, which looks like it could drag out until eternity. There are like 200 witnesses still to be heard. The Pope has to make decisions about how long this is going to go on and when the end game has arrived. And so this is a very crowded agenda. And the question is, you know, how the Pope is going to manage all of this. Charles de Gaulle, the famous leader of France, once famously said that to govern is to choose. In other words, to be in charge is to make hard choices about what is most important and where you want to spend your resources. Pope Francis is going to have to make some hard choices going forward about where he's going to invest his time and energy. All of that is going to be fascinating to observe. And then the third question about the Canada trip or in the wake of it is, how's he going to do it? Because here's the thing, on the papal plane on the way home, Pope Francis was asked a question during one of these famous airborne news conferences about how he's doing. And what he said is, look, here's what I've realized. Going forward, I'm not going to be able to do as much as I used to. I'm going to have to, like, scale back. I can't travel the way I used to. I can't keep up the same pace that I used to. 
This, of course, because of his various health challenges, including the osteoarthritis in his right knee that has made it difficult for him to stand, walk, be in one place for any particular length of time. And he also said that while I'm not thinking about resignation right now, this doesn't mean that tomorrow resignation might be a live possibility. In other words, Pope Francis is caught between a rock and a hard place. He's got a lot he wants to do. There are a lot of things that he wants to bring to conclusion. At the same time, he is also conscious that his physical capacity is increasingly limited and the day may be coming and not that far in the future in which he's simply not able to do it anymore. Now look, if you want a template for how Pope Francis can manage travel between now and whenever he decides the end has come, it's probably the papacy of John Paul II. I would remind you that John Paul II made his last international journey in 2002. He went to Canada, ironically enough, in the summer of 2002, and then he went to Mexico and Guatemala. For the next three years of his papacy, he traveled only inside Europe. Pope Francis could do something like that, taking shorter, less demanding trips, and in the meanwhile, trying to preserve his energies for the internal management of the Vatican and the church. But what that is going to mean in terms of the Pope's direct engagement with the critical issues facing the church and this papacy, that all remains to be seen. We will, of course, be tracking that on the crux site as it develops. All right, and then two other notes this week. First, we begin with the nastiness in Nigeria. Now, let me confess that I absolutely love the nation of Nigeria. It is my favorite country in Africa. I have often said that I am, in many ways, a white Nigerian. <laughs> that is to say, I think of myself as a Nigerian and everything other than birth and skin color. Like, Nigeria is loud. I'm loud. It's brash. I'm loud. Brash. It's bold. I'm bold. I love absolutely everything about it. And the former Cardinal Archbishop of Abuja, Cardinal John Oniakin, once declared me an honorary Nigerian. And so, like, to me, this is like a second home. However, I need to acknowledge that Nigeria these days is a troubled place. According to Open Doors International, which is a Protestant watchdog on anti-Christian persecution, Nigeria is second only to Pakistan in terms of the daily level of violence directed against Christians. In the year 2020, which is the last year for which we have hard data, there were 3,305 Nigerians who were physically persecuted because of their Christian faith. In the first six months of the year 2022, there have been more than 20 Catholic priests who have been kidnapped, well, in some cases killed. The latest example is a Catholic priest by the name of Father John Mark Chaitnam, who was kidnapped on July 15th and whose body was discovered on July 19th 
he was kidnapped along with a second Catholic priest who was able to escape and get back to his parish. Now, in many cases, these kidnappings are basically revenue stream for various criminal gangs, some of them of Islamic inspiration, but not all of them. Basically, they think of the Catholic Church as an organization that's got deep pockets. And so if they kidnap a priest, they think the church would pay to get this guy back. But in other cases, these are jihadist groups that want to basically grab and then kill priests because they are opposed to the presence of Catholics and more broadly Christians in the nation of Nigeria, which is roughly, it's a country of 270 or so million people, roughly evenly divided between Christians and Muslims. Here's the thing. The government of Nigeria has promised to expend resources to protect Christians, but clearly it is not working. Nigeria is facing national elections next year in 2023. The security of religious minorities, although Christians aren't actually a minority, they are, according to most counts, actually in the majority of the country. But nevertheless, the security of Christians is destined to be a major electoral issue because of the failures of the government. Look, all of us have an investment in the fate of the church in Nigeria. Nigeria is the largest mixed Christian Muslim nation in the world. It is also a bellwether of African Catholicism, which is destined to be the motor fuel of the Catholic Church in the 21st century. We want Nigeria to work. And so the insecurity and the physical attacks on Christians specifically Catholics and more specifically Catholic priests in Nigeria. I don't care how remote that seems to you, how removed from your daily concerns it seems. If you've got an ounce of Catholic DNA in your bloodstream, the fate of the church in Nigeria has to matter. And so it is important that all of us insist that the current government of Nigeria and whatever government follows in 2023 takes this seriously and steps up. In the meantime, our prayers and our concern for the church in Nigeria are desperately important. All right, finally this week, a story out of Italy. So, as we all know, Pope Francis has legendarily called on the Catholic Church to meet people where they are. We're not supposed to wait for people to come through the doors of a parish. We're supposed to go out into the streets and the markets, the highways and byways of the modern world and meet people where they live, right? And try to bring the gospel to them. So recently, there was a Catholic priest in Italy, a guy by the name of Father Mattia Bernasconi who did this in a somewhat unusual way. Basically, Bernasconi is a priest of the Archdiocese of Milan. In late July, he was the chaperone, if you like, of a group of about 20-something teenagers, Catholic teenagers from Milan, who had volunteered to be part of an anti-mafia effort in the southern Italian province of Calabria, cataloging and cleaning up property seized from the mob, They had put in a week of hard work, and at the end of this, Father Bernasconi wanted to take them to the beach 
okay, to like celebrate their hard work. Now, while they were at the beach, he had said, we're going to have mass. The original plan was to have this mass in a private section of the beach that was under the shade. But when they got there, it turned out another group had reserved this shaded area, so they couldn't do it there. He then wanted to go into a nearby forest, but it turned out that forest was occupied too. And so he was left with this. Basically speaking, they went back to the beach. There was a couple there who knew that he was trying to celebrate mass that said, look, if you want to go into the water right off the beach and stand like where the water is kind of waist high so you're cool, we'll give you our inflatable mattress. You can use that as an altar and you can celebrate mass. Father Bernasconi agreed. He celebrated this mass in the water on an inflatable mattress as the altar. Naturally, this being the 21st century, all of this was filmed by bystanders and immediately uploaded to like YouTube and Instagram and all these other social media channels. And it became a cause celeb. The diocese in Calabria, where this occurred, put out a statement denouncing it. The local police announced that they were going to be investigating Bernasconi for what is to this day, still a crime in Italy. It's called offense against a religious confession, which carries a fine of somewhere between $2,000 and $6,000. Bernasconi posted a heartfelt apology on the website of his parish in Milan, basically saying, look, I am really sorry. I didn't mean to turn the mass into something banal. It's just these kids were expecting a mass. I didn't want to disappoint them. This was the only option that we had. There were actually some people at the beach who came in and joined us because they saw that a mass was going on. I was very careful about, you know, care of the Eucharistic elements and so on. I realize maybe I was way too naive. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. Please give me credit for my good intentions and overlook my naivete. Here's the thing. Look, okay, maybe this was a dumb idea, right? Maybe he just should have said, look, mass today isn't going to be possible. Or when we get back to where we're staying, I'll do it in one of our rooms or something like that, right? There were probably better choices available. But on the other hand, What's this guy's real crime? I mean, the real crime is he was trying to evangelize a group of adolescents who, under other circumstances, probably would never darken the door of a Catholic church, and he wanted to make the Mass available to them. Was it maybe, like, not the best idea? Probably. But was it like an example of somebody trying to act upon the Pope's injunction to meet people where they are and trying to make the church present where real people actually live and move and have their being? I would say so. So my vote is, my hope, is that Father Mattia Bernasconi is not going to face a fine from Italian authorities He's not going to be censured by his archdiocese. He'll probably get his knuckles wrapped and reminded 
that mass ought to be celebrated in a setting that is worthy of the sobriety and reverence that is due to the Catholic liturgy. But at the same time, I hope his good intentions aren't shot down because let's face it, like a 36-year-old Catholic priest who is a soccer player and co-founder of a rock band who is trying to bring the word and the bread of God to young people in this day. Like, that guy deserves not to be shot down. He deserves to be encouraged. Don Matteo Bernasconi, all I have to say to you is keep it up. Maybe not in the water anymore. Try to keep it on dry land, but keep it up. All right, that is our show for this week. Thank you for being with us. We will be here next Tuesday, same bat time, same bat channel. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, stay cool, have a fantastic August, and we will talk to you again soon.